Welcome to Badgedamia, a podcast so educational two professors could be hosting it. Hi, I'm Dr. Danielle Dickenview, and joining me is Dr. Bill Pennyman. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Batchadamia. This week, we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Brianna McGew, or as I call her now, Aunt B. Um, so she is an assistant professor at the University of Kansas in social work. And besides being a, an incredibly rad sister-in-law, um, she is also a thrift shopper extraordinary extraordinaire. I can't talk. She can pun like a champ. Um, I hope we get some good puns today. And she's my favorite person to watch bad movies with. So like if a movie stars Hillary Duff, we're in, we're going to watch it. And because of that, I was really surprised that she's not a bachelor watcher until now. Now. You will become a bachelor watcher. So, Brianna, um, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, like I think you, you really hit the high points. The, I'm an assistant professor in the School of Social Welfare at the University of Kansas, specialize in improving mental health and substance use interventions for LGBTQ folks. I spent a lot of time reflecting on how my expertise could really contribute to the quality content of this podcast. Um, and yeah, I had, I'm going to be really vulnerable that I didn't really know much about The Bachelor until a week ago, but I have tried to extensively prep. Um, looking back, there's a long, rich history. Um, but yeah, my reality TV viewing had largely been 90 Day Fiance up until now. Um, so I feel like I'm almost qualified to be an immigration attorney at this point. I'm on that train. I love me some 90 Day Fiance. Oh, yeah. Just like the arc across seasons has been really incredible. Um, But now I'm, you know, I think becoming embedded in Bachelor Nation and just really inspired by what it has to offer. So thanks for having me on the show. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but Danielle has talked up how funny you are. So I feel like this is like comedians when somebody is like, say something funny, say something funny. But I'm like, I've been so excited all day because I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And then our brief conversation, I feel like we're we're really, yeah, this is this is good. I'm hoping for an invite to bad movie night after this. I feel like this yeah, is an I audition for me. It is an audition. It's it's a really selective process. Like I think my mom's been trying to get in for like a decade, and we're like, so- sorry. <laughs> Meanwhile, we would welcome my husband Ryan in, and he just doesn't show much interest. So. You know, he's yeah, but he out. said he doesn't like The Bachelor, but now he's like a closet Bachelor fan, right? Like he's like surreptitiously talking about it in the halls. I mean, fan might be a strong word there. Um, he might understand what's happening in the oh, season. Now. It's a gateway drug. Knowledge, right? Uh, knowledge is the first step to change. Yeah. <laughs> In this case, it seems like it might be captivity is the first step towards change. Or addiction. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. So um, each week we start with a question. And this week's question is, if you could carry out the most epic prank ever, what would you do? Or what's the best prank you've done? So I have a really good one for this, if I can start out. So shout out to my mother-in-law, Sue Dwyer, who is one of the funnier and more entertaining people I know. 
she thought up this amazing prank to play on my college roommate, Tim. So we uh, got on Facebook and contacted everybody we knew at the beginning of the summer and said, hey, when you go on vacation, send Tim a postcard from wherever you go and be like, hey, can't wait to see you. And then put it from a fake name or like make up a story and then tell your friends too. So we thought, oh, he'll get 10 or 15. He ended up getting like 150 of them. And we never told, like for months, we didn't tell him who it was and he kept getting them. And he was like, who's doing this? I, I called my friend at the FBI. I was like, you don't have any friends at the FBI other than me. And finally it got to where we were a little concerned about his mental health. So we dropped the, the ball, you know, we were like, Hey, it was us. He's like, all right, we'll stop him from coming. And it was like, no, we can't do that. It has a life of its own. So for like, I think a year or two after we did it, he would still get one every once in a while that had gotten like lost in the mail. It was like, Hey Tim, remember that wild night in Bora Bora? Can't wait to recreate it. Jasmine. No idea who Jasmine was. And he'd call me like, who's Jasmine? I don't know, Tim. <laughs> that's lovely. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah, I think I've always dreamed of going into someone's apartment and replacing all of their possessions with almost identical possessions that are like 25% larger. Um, so they just feel like they're like slightly tiny in their own apartment. Um, but I think it's probably pretty resource intensive. Um, in terms of like actual pranks, I'm just kind of fond of like lying, like making stuff up. Um, it's like weird, but plausible. So I had like a friend in earnest convinced that I was like a hermit crab trainer and that like how I managed to get into Brown for undergrad um, was I trained hermit crabs to do crab robotics um, and like little little hermit crab trapezes and that like I had this like international hermit crab circus. Um, and like every so often he'd like bring it up to other people um, who like <laughs> be like, huh, I don't know about that. Um, but yeah, I think just like weird, but like almost plausible lies are sort of an area of expertise of mine. I'm so concerned that everything you've told me up to this point is a lie. <laughs> you never know. You're That's not even Ryan's sister. Of it. <laughs> You're not even Ryan's sister. So last week, actually, we got a stapler in the mail and it's like a gargoyle stapler. It's actually really awesome. But we didn't know that it was from Brianna because we didn't get the note in the bottom of it. And we were like, who, like, how do we just get this amazing gargoyle stapler? It's a dragon. Um, and then we did learn that it was from Brianna. So um, that wasn't a prank, but it was a lovely surprise from Aunt B. So, yes. Um, yeah, I have, I have two pranks that I'm thinking about doing. And I can share it because I know the people that we're going to prank would never listen to this podcast you were wondering how wide our listenership is <laughs> it is not wide enough to reach danielle's prankies my like my friends aren't going to listen to this podcast is what i'm saying but so one of our colleagues he has um a lot of publications and every time he gets a publication he puts the front page of it in a frame in his office and we want to go in and replace all of the pictures with pictures of our kids and our dogs so that when he gets back from COVID, his whole office is just like Ryan and I's family. <laughs> um, so
So that's one we're really excited about. But I've always said that if I was super wealthy, that I would erect statues in my friend's yards. And we've decided we're never going to become really wealthy. So Ryan has been researching ways to make plaster molds that we have a plan of like this summer might happen. Um, plaster molds are going in the Doden's backyard. And I love that I'm saying this in public because they're never going to listen to this podcast. Um, but we're going to get them. And then I'll say, hey, there is a warning. You could have listened to my podcast and you don't. I've always wanted to learn how to knit really bad so that I could make like bad sweaters for friends and then just like bully them into wearing them. Like, why aren't you wearing that hat I made you? But it'd be all like not straight. And... I love it. I love it. So this episode, <clears throat> one word. Conflicted. I stole it from Connie, Connie Hansen, but. She sent us her nightly email. It used to come in the morning and now Connie's email is coming like within five minutes of the episode, which means she is typing it while she's watching it just to send it to us. And I feel like he keeps saying conflicted. They're all conflicted. We are all conflicted. We're conflicted about our feelings with Victoria. We want her back, but she's also horrible. Yeah. See intensifying like it felt like this past week um particularly when like katie got booted off um that like i think we're now down to like a group of people that he might potentially be serious about yeah i was going to go with oh i just lost it i had it and then i lost it Oh, choices, choices. I was like, it starts with C. It's a word that starts with C. Photography. Choices. Uh. <laughs> Photography. That, that it's time to make some choices. So this episode starts out with some drama. So some conflict between Hasinia and MJ. And they're on the couch and they're bickering. MJ is spir spiraling wildly. What's going on here, folks? She is something like she looked like she just was slowly losing her mind and like continuing to imply that she is all into peace and love while like also looking like she's thinking about how she could like fashion a butter knife and stab Hesenia. That was my thought. Yeah, and I worry that I'm, I'm taking something that Danielle had also thought. Um, I had a doll there for every time MJ was like, I lead by example, which just did not seem at all relevant to what she was talking about. Um, but yeah, um, it did seem like she was unraveling some, and I do feel that like her like mane of like gorgeous curly hair as it became like increasingly, as she became increasingly unhinged, was just like escalating. Um, but yeah. It was a rough look for her. It grew like Samson. The more rage she got, the bigger it got. This is what happens with my daughter. My three-year-old daughter has wild hair. And the more wild she is, the bigger her hair gets. It's, it's like if she walks in after being at grandma's all day and her hair's really big, like take caution. It's just <laughs> terrifying too. My daughter's so scary. 
<laughs> Scary. Long thing. hair at night, heed with fright. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, that's that's what they say. Um, so I just want to point out that MJ's first name is actually that's Meredith. Meredith. I feel like this is important to know. I don't know why, but it's important to know. So were we surprised that Hesenia got the rose? I was not surprised that she was kept. I was surprised she got the rose. I thought he would then like go into the rose ceremony and make the decision. Um, so I was surprised she got a rose, yeah. They don't seem like they really have a great connection but maybe sometimes that's when it's better to be on a two-on-one it's like it's better to be the least the less awful person on a two-on-one because they're probably going to keep you not that she's awful but i will say like normally when they do the two-on-ones they still like go on a date yeah yeah and here they're just like no nah, we're gonna have you like sit on a couch and then we're going I, to make a decision he like gave up it was like a ransom note like they, it was like, show up the two of you. One, two enter, one leaves. The Thunderdome. I wish they would have used that voice to read it. Yeah. How quickly do you think Victoria's spirit left MJ's body and then went to Serena? Like, how quickly did that succubus or whatever we're calling it, like, lift out of? MJ's body when he walked her out and then it was like I need to find an equally horrible soul Serena yeah I think that felt to me that whole conflict I know we'll, we'll get to it really felt almost desperate so, like Victoria like had cultivated a clear personality and then like MJ was like kind of awful and then like I don't know this Serena drama just felt like it kind of came out of nowhere yeah she should have started building that persona from the get-go. Yeah. <laughs> Has us confused this audience. You're going to be a um, jerk, be a wholesale jerk. So they go into the rose ceremony. And what becomes really interesting to me at this point is Ryan gets a lot of screen time. And up to this point, we don't know Ryan very well. She was one of the girls that came in later. And she's really upset that she might get axed and she does and so i just found that surprising i think victoria's spirit inhabited ryan for like a couple minutes and then it was like no she too crazy i'm going to serena like she was too weak for victoria's soul she needed a more like burden nice yeah yep that's all I have to say about Ryan. So in the rose ceremony, um, Maggie, Ryan, and Brittany go home. I was also a bit shocked that Brittany left and there was almost no reaction to it. So there's all this drama a few weeks ago around Brittany, the accusations that she's an escort, and then fizzled out thoughts yeah, yeah i agree with you particularly there's like the escort drama but then like it seemed like matt really took this like stand is like no you're beautiful i'm into you like i can really see myself with you and then we just like don't hear much from her and then she's gone um yeah 
I, that's that's how I feel about her. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I so Bill, I think that you had mentioned that it felt really like then that the producers had just brought her in. Oh yeah, set up this drama between her and Anna. And when that was kind of complete, they didn't like have anything to do with her. Yeah. It, yeah, it felt, it makes it, it makes it feel as scripted as the show probably is. Right. The <laughs> other character, and I realized she was gone by now, but like the ICU nurse um, who they brought in and like, you brought like an intensive care nurse in <laughs> during COVID. Like surely this is going to be like a compelling plot and then she gets no screen time and gets sent home immediately. Yeah. The bachelor's the bachelor producer is like, listen, if you guys got to die, you got to die. But we got to have this ICU nurse here for like one episode so we can talk about how like amazing it is that they're on the front line. But you got to go. There are still, a, I think that this is what has I, I talk about this every week. I'm going to talk about it again. How are there still so many girls? <laughs> They're going to have, like, home visits soon. <laughs> I just said that in a really awkward way. Home visits. Home visits. <laughs> um, and there's still so many girls on the show. I feel like they're going to have to do a group date where they just, like, let half of them go at the end in order to get the numbers whittled down here soon. Right. I might finally get my Hunger Games scenario that I've been wanting for so long. I love a good crossover, and I feel like a Bachelor Hunger Games crossover would be just what America needs. I also feel like Maggie was too kind and nice for this show. Like, like she has too good of a story. She probably can find someone without the baggage, and yeah. Yeah, we didn't get to know her well, but I did appreciate her struggling to paddle in the pumpkin, uh, in the pumpkin in the last episode or two episodes ago. Yeah. So after the rose ceremony, things really escalate with Serena C and Katie. Um, what do you all think about this? You know, does does Serena have a point? Like, what's going on? What What do you all think about this? I'm tired of it. You're done with it? I'm done with it. Uh, Brianna, go ahead. I feel like I'm I'm talking a lot. I'm being a very bad host. Guess first. Oh, shucks. Um, yeah, I will sort of put the caveat that I really connect with Katie. Like, you know, I went to like a sex positive feminist camp. And I feel like when she like brought the vibrator on, that was something that like around 2010, I'd been like, yes. I am empowered and I'm empowering everyone around me with this like prominent display of like feminist sexuality. Um, and I think Bachelor Nation needs some of that. So I'm like really into the presence of Katie. So I, I will say like, I probably interpret her presence on the show particularly favorably. I'm having a hard time seeing her as like a primary instigator of like drama and problem. And like, I think there've been a few times where like she stood up for folks when like say Victoria was being cruel um, that I think I've enjoyed her presence. I wasn't, I'm not really seeing Serena's perspective nor did I see like 
the burn up to it happening. It just seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere um, and then burned very bright. Yeah, I think that Serena was part of the mean girl posse. And I think they all got really defensive when they got called out on things. And so I think this turned to sort of saying, oh, well, Katie, you were the one that created the drama by not making your relationship with Matt first. Um, I'll kind of use the metaphor I did last week is like when someone says something racist and someone else calls them out on it, it's the racist that's ruining the fun, not the person that calls them out on it. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. I'd take a bullet for Katie at this point. She's the hero we need, not the one we deserve. Uh, I also, in this interaction, some production questions. Where are they? What room are they in? Because Serena knocks on the door and walks in, but then Katie walks out. Like, did she just leave Serena in her room? They are mortal enemies. Like, is Serena going to, like, do something to her toothbrush? Also, why is Katie dressed like she is going to go to a really, like, laid-back soccer game? I didn't get that. I was appreciating the silk shorts. I was also like, ooh, she's got nice legs. She does, yeah. Oh, yeah, top-notch legs. The socks were good. Um, uh, yeah. See, I, just, I didn't understand the socks. That that I drew the line there. <laughs> I don't yeah. think Serena has a reason to blow up. I, I think, like you said, Danielle, I think she got caught. She is on an island by herself and she's trying to find a way to like gain back like group. She wants people in her group. And so she's trying to find someone that she can like push away so that other people are closer to her. I thought when she proceeded to start gossiping immediately afterwards, that that signaled something, but it also made me wonder what her relationship already was with the other girls and, Mm where Katie fits in. And I wonder if there is sort of a riff there that we're unaware of. I feel like being somebody who speaks up in those situations, although it's admirable, probably means socially, you're a little bit like, like you're willing to forego social niceties, which probably means Katie rubs some people the wrong way. Like, so I wonder like what you're saying, if Serena is somebody who gets along with people and just kind of goes along with the group sentiment, Katie might not. And and when you're in a group that kind of pushes you the outsides of the group. Yeah. So I have some extra credit and it's, it's sort of related. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In, in performance studies, we spend a lot of time thinking about the word performance and its evolution and I'm teaching a graduate seminar right now called performance theory and methods. And we just learned about what we call the performance term, which is basically in our field prior to that, when we were talking about performance, we were talking about staged performance. And um, so how do you perform a poem? How do you perform a short story? And over time, what sort of emerged and this is a quick and dirty history, but we started to look at performance as more of a metaphor 
for understanding everyday behaviors. And so in that, you see sort of an application of theatrical terms uh, and theories and philosophers to everyday life behaviors. So it, within that, there's this concept of social drama and kind of takes, it makes this argument that the rise and fall of dramatic action is pretty typical for conventional stories. So whether it's a fairy tale, a novel, or a Hollywood blockbuster, you're gonna find some of the similar narrative structures. So the beginning of an action is called exposition. Some of you maybe learned this in school. And then that exposition ends with an inciting incident. And the, this really sets the action of the story into motion. Um, so if there's really no inciting incident, there's almost no story. Rising action is a series of complications um, to the conflict of the story. And there's typically a series of obstacles that the protagonist faces um, that interferes with her plans. The climax is the turning point of the story. And then the falling action is sort of where there's either a defeat or victory of the protagonist, right? So one, we could look and sort of see how this is going. And um, what I feel is that the producers need to <laughs> keep creating more inciting incidents because there's more left to the season to kind of, they, they aren't ready for the, the falling action. But also there's these concepts and, and actually I should have Ryan teach this instead of me. So Kenneth Burke, um, he, he was someone that used drama as a way to understand everyday life. And within that, he, he kind of talked about conflict and how we tend to solve our conflicts in one of two ways, by sacrificing others through victimage or sacrificing ourselves through mortification. Um, and then you also have scapegoating, right? Where you heap the sins, right? Or guilt of an individual onto a group. And so I sort of see, I, I was sort of like thinking about the ways that I feel like Katie has become a scapegoat for the sins of the bullies. I don't know. So use those terms if they're helpful for you. If like not, it. you know, listen to the rest of our banter and move on. We're still in the rising action. See, <laughs> I listened. Oh. I've been to school. So that's what I got. I like it. It'll do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So we're if we had to out. use one term for the pandemic, that would be mine. It'll do. It'll do. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> That'll do, pig. Okay, so Heather shows up and in a minivan, which is very exciting to me. Um, I also drive a white minivan. That is a hand-me-down from my sister. She moved back to Hawaii. I got her minivan. Leather seats? We do, but they're not as fun. Our minivan's not quite as nice as Heather's. 
and she had gray leather seats. Ours are blacks. So. Uh, she, I did see an article and she said, basically she went to the rental place and they were like, you want a minivan? And she was like, yeah, when they offer you a minivan, you take it. Like, that's how she got the minivan. Minivans are great. It's like yeah. a truck. You can yeah. put a lot of things in the back of a minivan. Yeah. Um, Ryan's not as excited about the minivan as I am, but, um, Okay, so they make they do make it seem like this idea is completely initiated by her. What do you all think? It seemed like there were probably a range of like logistical things that needed to be established for her to like show up in this place and like for what's his name, the host dude, to be like available to talk to her and for her to so quickly be established, particularly in the time of like quarantine procedures. Um and then, like, I don't know sort of the editing time frame, but it did seem like her, her quarantine went pretty quick. So I think it may have started before it was indicated that it started. So, no, I'm, I'm not buying it. I wondered if she was supposed to come in with the second group of women and her flight got delayed or something. And so because if you think about it, it's like about three days from when those women came in. Right. So I'm wondering if that was the case is that it just didn't time up and they're like, you know what we're going to do? We'll just make it seem like she's crazy and drove across the United States to this secluded place in Pennsylvania in a minivan, maybe wearing a diaper. I might have made that up so that she didn't have to have bathroom breaks. I don't know, guys, because she didn't want COVID. And she knocked on the door and was like, little pig, little pig, let me in. I mean, it was just like ridiculous. To, per, See, to think that really happened. See, I think that like one of the producers got wind that she has a crush on Matt James. Mm. And we're like, hey, Hannah B, you got to talk her into driving across the country in a minivan. <laughs> she also didn't look like she had driven across the country in it because I've driven across the country on a few occasions and you do not look like she looked. Like you are bleary eyed you reek of like Cheetos and stale coffee. And she came out like all fresh faced and dimply and like, I just want Matt. Also, I'm like, wait, these are established friendships at this point. I would think if I was like trying to hook my buddy up, I would like have done that before he went on the show. Like it just seemed like we didn't need for that relationship or that intro to happen now Um, that there are many sort of, opportunities with fewer barriers <laughs> indeed so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about heather near the end of this but so piper gets a one-on-one -on -one and she's worried that it's going to be a scary date but they're just going to a carnival um th thoughts about the carnival date i dug the musical performance a lot um like first i was watching it and I'm like, I bet it's really awkward to perform to these, like, two people who are just, like, making out the whole time. Um, and then, you know, I noted this is thrilling, but I'd actually seen that band at the Asparagus Festival, um, which I did really wonder what trajectory potentially led from them being at, like, the Asparagus Festival to, like, getting this, like, pretty sweet national time slot. Um, so I'd say good for Temecula Road. Is it a national asparagus festival or, like, a local... <laughs> 
It is an international asparagus festival in Stockton, California. Um, I, I don't know. What's bigger? I don't know. Right. Yeah, there were at least, I guess, to be fair, there were more people watching them at the asparagus festival than were watching them on this one-on-one date. So well, like, live. But like, blindness. yeah. Like, I assume, yeah, more than 40 people watched The Bachelor. Um, but yeah, that is true. That like the uh, International Asparagus Festival may have been where careers go to peak. Performing on a date at the Bachelor is kind of like a Super Bowl spot. Yeah, that's that's true. You get a lot of <laughs> middle-aged moms downloading your music. They go right to their iTunes and they're like, hmm, Temecula Road. I love their song. I did think he had a lovely voice. See? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I am a Facebook mom. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh, no. I feel. I love a good carnival. Carnival games were invented for people like me because I am the idiot who will sink like $20 because I think I can win the game. Like those claw machines and all my friends will back me up on this. I am like an addict with those. Like I will sit there for hours and just play them and think I am going to get the stuffed elephant that I've been working on for like an hour. It's one of my few vices. And so like hit stuff with a ball, throw a ring on something. I could spend hours doing that. So did it make you mad when he stepped over the counter and just yes. grabbed a stuffed animal? Yes. Cause you didn't earn it. Like that makes sense. Yeah. If I may insert my own sort of impromptu extra credit here, like I do have some thoughts about the value. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking the bull by the horns here. Go for it. Yeah. Um, so there's a theory of emotion called the Shakir two-factor theory. And the idea is that emotion is experienced through physiological arousal that we then interpret. Um, and so why this is relevant here is that Carnivals are an excellent idea for a date, particularly ones that have a lot of like kind of scary rides because like you're going down the roller coaster, like your, your heart gets beaten and you have this sort of intense feeling. Um, and in the absence of a date, you might be like, oh, I'm just kind of like thrilled by this carnival ride. But sort of in the presence of, say, a dreamboat like Matt, you're like, oh, no, this is attraction. Um, and so there's actually some evidence to suggest that like carnival dates um or like scary movies are another excellent option are a really good way to up the ante because folks interpret that experience as sort of liking the other person um even if it has absolutely nothing to do with them that's awesome it's a good one that has one of my favorite studies that's attached to it where they had the people either walk across a very low bridge or a very high bridge and then they had a really attractive person ask them a questionnaire and then as they were walking they had another person come up and be like, hey, would you like to go on a date with them? And they found that the high bridge elicited more attraction to that person. Yeah, sexy Ranger Sally. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Oh, look at this like yeah. academic connection. They've read the same article happening. I am so close to getting the invite to horrible movie night. Like, <laughs> just, just keep it between the beacons, Bill. Don't blow this. You don't get arrogant again. Don't get arrogant. <laughs> so um, the the date with Piper does end um, with a dinner. She discloses how difficult it is for her to disclose thing in part because her family's communication style around emotions 
um, is that you don't communicate emotions explicitly. Um, <clears throat> so what did you all think about their connection, their date? I thought they seemed like they had a good connection and he did a good job listening. I would point out that you learn your communication patterns from your loved ones. And so that five minute segment did not fix her communication patterns. And so they would probably be very good to like, if they were going to get married, immediately go into marriage counseling, um, and work on those communication patterns. Uh, I think sometimes that's a fallacy of couples is that they like have one conversation. They're like, it's fixed forever, but you know, our habits are there because they are the easy things we turn to and they're hard to break and it takes work. Yeah. I don't know. Like I felt like they have a connection, but like compared to some of the other connections, I don't know that I was really feeling it. So we will see. I wish I looked as good as Piper does in a bun. Like I wish I had some type of look that I could just be like, I want to look good today. I'm going to do this because she looks amazing when she has her hair in a bun. I don't have that. Well, Bill's been considering growing his hair out again. And I think maybe if it's long enough, you could pull off the bun look. If you don't follow us on Twitter, you need to go and look at the picture of young Bill and Danielle with very similar haircuts. It's, I mean, I'll say Bill's hair is luscious in this picture. It's very full. I feel like he wins. One of Danielle's friends said it looked very soft. And I was like, oh, it's softer than you could even imagine. Which I don't know if that's true. It just seemed like the creepy thing to say. (laughs) But yeah, I did see it, I think, on Facebook. And Mm -hmm. I was like, those are some luxurious locks. I worry that you could have been vulnerable to the MJ situation we were talking about earlier, though. (laughs) Absolutely. So I just, this is just a short side note. We do get a little clip of Heather while quarantining, dancing with pizza. I liked it. She's got some bouncy minivan energy. Um, But so then we move on to a group date and they go bowling and pink team is just better at bowling. Um, Blue team gets pretty upset because they're not going to be able to attend the evening portion of the date. But then Matt sends a note to them and says, ah, whatever, come on in. (laughs) Rules mean nothing. Nothing. Yes. Yes. And then so everyone's just, well, the girls that get to come to the date that didn't think they were going to are really excited. But then the girls that thought they might get more time with, Matt are pretty angry again. Thoughts on all of this? I don't know. Like if I had a dollar for every time they were like, Matt's like, I just need to follow my heart. This is about finding love. Um, And I worry that some of these strict rules may be impeding his ability to follow his heart and find love. So if we are truly to grant um, that he needs to be able to spend time with all of these women, I think it may have been the right call, Um, but then I think we need to sort of more broadly reflect on if the structure of the show is really conducive um, to him spending time with these women and following his heart. That was very academic. I'm impressed. 
That's why they pay me the big bucks. Professor the <laughs> hell out of that one. I think Michelle was the clear winner to, to be not academic. In my <laughs> thoughts, I think Michelle is the clear winner. She was poised and it just seems like he has such a better, such a more like deep connection and broad connection with her that everybody else on that date was playing catch up. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So our friend Tyler C shows up. I was pretty excited about this along with a lot of other Facebook mom fans <laughs> that are part of bachelor nation. Um, so, Is there a Facebook mom club? No, but he gets Tyler when he gets there was a lot of Facebook moms this summer that were sending him messages about how he needed to clean his house um, <laughs> as a reaction of his TikTok videos. And so he started calling them like Facebook moms. He's like, the Facebook moms think I need to mop my floor. <laughs> and so... Um, cracks me up i feel a connection with him though because he played football at fau which was where ryan and i's first job out of our phd program was at fau so um his abs have nothing to do with that it was it's fau <laughs> but so tyler and matt they they play pool and you know matt gets some love advice from tyler who just released a book that I will review at some point because yes. I'm reading it. I'm going to wait for the movie to come out, but I want that review. Absolutely. Review. So that they play this Katie, Katie gets a one-on-one -on -one and their date is begins with playing a prank on Tyler. It was an interesting prank. So Tyler's getting a massage and they get to tell the actress that is giving him a massage what to do. So the feminist in me is very concerned about consent issues here. The regular part of me is like, squeeze them nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Tweak them good. Make Tyler wince. So what are you all's thoughts on this prank? Does it make you uncomfortable? Are you excited about it? I know there was a debate in the Bachelor pot viewing pod about this. Like, what are you all thinking? Well, the Bachelor viewing pod just didn't think it was funny. But I thought it was funny. And I feel like with any prank, you kind of got to read the room and who you're doing it to. He seemed to think it was funny. He seemed to be game. So I'm with it. It's not like they did anything incredibly untoward. Uh, I'm sure Matt has friends that it wouldn't be a good idea to do it to, but. What are your thoughts, Brianna? Yeah, I think similarly to what's been said is like, I, I too sort of see the consent issue, though it did seem like a little bit of no harm, no foul. Um, I think probably my biggest thought in this is like, she seemed to have a good time, but like poor Katie, like I think we're, that like it seemed that you know other girls have gotten carnival dates and like carted off in these like victorian chariot things and then like katie was like more or less sent to like prank matt's bff um and so 
it just didn't seem like a setup for like real romance, particularly for someone who say had to uproot her life for months to like pursue love with this guy that I feel like she kind of got the short end of the stick. Yeah. I had questions too, if Tyler knew that the prank was going on. Cause I was like, what were they going to do if he took off his skivvies? Right. Like Mm. sometimes when you get a massage, you take off your undies. He didn't. I felt like, did they just want him to take off his clothes? Did they just want that shirtless shot? of Tyler. So I did have some questions where I was like, does he really, does he know that this is going to happen? I feel like if you're on the show, you kind of get used to just being told what you can and can't do. Like, I wonder if they're like, Hey, we need some shots for this massage. So you can't totally take off your pants and maybe, well, no, I guess he stood up. I was going to say, I wondered if he did once the camera was off and then they had the I've never had a massage. I don't have much of an interest in ever getting one. So I don't know about all that stuff. Seems awkward to me. Well, thoughts on Tyler's visit in general. Um, Any. Yeah. Okay. He seems like a, he seems like a bro. Like he, I, I sometimes wonder he does not seem near as deep as Matt. And so I wonder how they get along as friends. Like they're making it out to be a very like they're best friends. But I wonder if it like if Matt has other best friends, but Tyler's the convenient best friend for this show. I mean, they lived together oh. for a long time. Um, and I actually I think that Tyler is very bro. He kind of, as you said, like he does like pranks a lot. You know, there's ways that he's just like a 20 something year old mm-hmm. dude. But I also think that as somebody that might have spent a little too much time watching <laughs> the quarantine cruise TikToks in March of last year, um, I don't, I actually think that Tyler's pretty smart. Um, and I could see him and Matt being pretty deep. He also, I know that like Matt came to live with him right after Tyler's mom passed away this spring. So I I think that their relationship is more than a, in fact, they were friends. Matt had nothing to do with the bachelor nation. Um, So, I mean, a little history. Um, (laughs) I'm so proud to know that much. Um, So, then they go on dinner at like, so Katie and Matt go to dinner and pretty shortly, pretty quickly into the date, things start, Matt's not into it and he takes her home. So what do you all think about this? I was sad. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I love me some Katie. Um, and I really, this is sort of like how the show works when they're about to make a rose decision. They pick up the rose, but it didn't feel really brutal to be like, gonna pick up this rose, gonna say a bunch of really nice things to you, and then be like, but really, no rose, you gotta go home. Yeah. Um, and it did seem, I don't know, like they did seem just more like hells to me, like sort of nature of their date felt very like buddy buddy. Um, but also like when Katie's like, I'm so sad. I could imagine myself going to a football game with like Matt and his buddies. Um, I felt like of all of the examples she could have chosen, that sort of told us what we needed to know of like, 
it just seemed like they were kind of pals. Um, so I don't think that I saw them together, but I was, since I'm fond of her, I was particularly sad to see her go home. I wanted more screen time for Katie. Y'all want an extra credit on the friend zone? I feel like that's what you're describing. Yes. And I just happen to have one up here. So uh, the definition of the friend zone from Urban Dictionary, the only dictionary that I allow myself to use, a particularly aggravating metaphorical place that people end up in uh, with someone they are interested in when <laughs> that people end up with when someone they are interested in only wants to be friends. It is impossible to get over someone while in the friend zone because as friends, you'll see them too often for them to be erased from your memory. And yet you cannot let them, uh, you cannot be with them the way that you want. Person one, hypothetically, would you react if I told you I like you? Person two, I'm sorry. I don't uh, mean to hurt you, but I want to be friends. Person one is now in the friend zone. So that was a long entry. Yeah, well, that's, you know, <laughs> the best thing about Urban Dictionary is sometimes you get something like that. And other times it's like, friend zone sucks like blow me or something like that. So, um, so when we talk about the friend zone, what we're really talking about is unrequited love, right? Which is this idea that you like somebody, but they're not liking you back. So 80 to 90% of people have reported experiencing that depending on what study you've looked at. Um, why does it happen? Uh, so there is an inherent desire to want something we can't have. That's one of the big reasons, right? There's this forbidden fruit. We're also really bad estimators of how much we like someone or how much someone likes us when we like them. So we tend to think about the benefits and enjoyments of the relationship from our selfish perspective, but not from the friend perspective. So we, we don't do a very good calculation on that. And then the future rewards of being in a relationship are tantalizing uh, for the would-be lover. So we, we think about, we are friends um, where you have less strains, less um, commitment. We're just going to put this romantic relationship on top of it and get all of those benefits. What we don't understand is that when the person who wants to put you in the friend zone um, looks at that situation, they think, oh, man, I'm going to lose the benefits of the friend. And then I'm going to have these responsibilities of a romantic partner. Um, so that's kind of why that is so tempting and why it works out. Now, the bigger question is, can I get out of the friend zone? Um, so there's limited research on this, which I thought was really odd. Um, there's no like qualitative research on like people have gotten out of the friend zone and here's how there's not even like books out there that are from junk researchers that are like, I want out of the friend zone. But if I were to give advice, here's some things I would tell you the do's lay out your feelings in an open and honest way. Um, let them know how you feel Two, give your friend the space to think about it and what it means for you to be in a relationship with them. Three, listen to their concerns. Four, have a sense of humor about it. We find people get really worked up about it and, and they lose that kind of friend connection that they had. Don't, don't be overly persistent. Don't be a creep. And like, you cannot force somebody into liking you. That is a recipe for a bad relationship. Don't be subversive in hinting that you like them. Come out and say it. Don't denigrate current or potential lovers of the friend. That is a really good way to lose favor. Um, and also make that person that they are with um, not trust you. And then fourth, don't make a grand gesture in front of people because it puts them in a really, really bad relationship and they feel like they have to make a decision. And sometimes it's not the authentic decision. 
to finish the greatest song ever written about unrequited love jesse girl jesse's girl by rick springfield i play it every valentine's day in my classes i teach and i took both of my mom and my mother-in-law to a rick springfield concert and he was walking on the chairs and i saw my mom reach up and actually goose rick springfield's butt that's the end of the extra credit that's amazing right also, you need to write a blog post with that advice that you just gave bill well, maybe people should listen to our podcast well, that too. Right? <laughs> awesome. If you don't, you're going to get a statue in your freaking yard and you're not going to know how to get out of the friend zone. Ah, uh, yep. <laughs> so, so Heather or so Katie leaves, but Heather comes in. And mm -hmm. so I really love it. So Heather drives up in her minivan and then she just walks in, she's strutting in and she's <laughs> can't get the door open which is like my favorite because it's something that would totally happen to me like a freaking and bird into a too cleaned <laughs> sliding glass bonk. and then and then she like walks in she kind of just like smiles at the girls and like clearly someone's told her what to do because she like has never been in this place and she's like i'm just gonna walk in and right walk to the right to the room where matt's at at this Deuces. <laughs> and she opens up the door what's up losers <laughs> I mean, totally and then the girls are pissed no we're not happy about this here was my thought the b team that didn't like to be called the b team is now very insistent that heather needs to know that she is on the c team like oh how the turn table like Right. I mean, yeah. I just find it so interesting. I understand that why the girls are frustrated. All they seem to want is to have time with him, but there's so many of them and there just keeps being more of them that they're frustrated. And then you have this person come in that they think already knows him or at least has some sort of connection to him and they feel threatened by that. I just find it so fascinating, though, how much this group of women get so angry at other women for coming on the show just like they did. Right. <laughs> you also feel like a parallel for, like, the immigration debate in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, that is intersectionality. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I wish Victoria was still on the show. She would tell Heather what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you all think? I I think poor Heather is too nice. Yeah. And she's been on a show before, but when she was on the show, the relationship among the girls was very different than it is with this. So I think she came on thinking like, oh, I'm going to make great friends with these women like I am with Hannah B now. And I think it's about to get ugly. Yeah. And I don't know if she has the coping mechanisms to deal with it. I think she just wants to be on the show. I don't think she really, I, I don't think her and Matt are a good couple. I feel like she is not as into the long-term relationship as he is. I think she wants to be on TV, let her have her episode and then be done with her. I like her as a person. I'd hang out with her. 
Yeah, she also seemed perhaps a recipe for the friend zone. Like I noticed a very similar like laughy energy between them that I'm like, I'm picking up what you all are putting down, but it didn't necessarily feel particularly given how quickly he like escalates into like, I want three children and to raise them in this like God-fearing home. Like I wasn't quite getting that connection between the two of them. Yeah, I think it's going to be a short-lived experience for Heather um, which is too bad for her. So one sentence takeaway for this episode. I wish Victoria was still with us. That's my takeaway. I miss Katie's generally positive, sex positive feminist energy. And I think we're all going to feel that absence. I'm looking forward to more girls going home. Drop the ax, drop the hammer. It's so that I can get to love, though. I yeah. I want less distractions, more love. All right, Brianna, any shout out, last words, any wisdom for our listeners? The floor is yours. Oh, goodness. Yeah, um, I will say, given sort of my professional focus, I would like a more LGBTQ-oriented version of The Bachelor. Um like, I think something I keep thinking is I'm like, there are just so many attractive women in this house, like competing for the attention of like one guy, like why, why aren't they creating a more meaningful sapphic energy amongst themselves? Um, so that's something that carry, I carry with me. Um, and then that, I'd like to give a shout out to my mom, who I love very much, who I am confident is going to watch this. Um, Hi, Coral. Hi, Coral. I love Coral? you. Hi, Coral. <laughs> Um, also, you know, love my dad, my brother, and I don't have a table. And so Skylar had to like do some funny stuff, my partner, to like make sure that I could see this episode. So like he really made this possible. And yeah, I'm just really glad that you all invited me on. Um, I I now am better understanding the, the cultural phenomenon of The Bachelor. Um, and I had a very good time with you all today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Ambi. <laughs> Everyone have a good Valentine's Day, right? This is our right. Valentine's Day show. You are... Is it this weekend? Oh, yes, it it's is. this weekend, yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, <laughs> I'm good. I've got presents. I just don't remember dates, so it's okay. And if okay. you don't have someone, listen to Rick Springfield. Jesse's girl. It'll all make sense. Bye. You've been listening to Bachadamia with your hosts, Drs. Daniel Dick McGew and Bill Henniger. All opinions expressed on this show are solely the opinion of the person who spoke them. If you like our podcast, please consider following us, leaving us a five-star rating, and a positive review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, please share with your friends, family, and other ardent Bachelor content lovers. If you have comments or questions you would like us to address on the show, you can email us at bachadamia at gmail.com or on the Twitter with the handle at Thanks for listening.